the house, you can be seated. Can we just thank our team one more time for leading us this morning? Parker and Daniel and the team. Throw some clap emojis in the comments. If you're online, let us know you're with us. Thank them as well. I tell you what, I serve with the most Jesus-loving, servant-hearted, talented, gifted people I've ever had the privilege of serving with. Amen? Amen. Leanne Otto over at our Gary campus. Daniel and Parker here. They lead at Cedar Lake in HP. Jen was on the keys. She does a lot of musical development for us. And uh, my wife helps in the background as well. Um, but two guys I got to thank real quick. It's Eric and Chuck, our tech guys. Can we thank them real quick? I don't, I don't know if you know this, but four months ago, we had nothing online. We were all here, right? And then the pandemic hit and we were like, hey, Eric and Chuck, can you get us online in four days? <laughs> And they did, and it's been high quality streams. I'm just grateful for people that live within the gifting and calling that God has given them so that we can have some semblance of normal. And I will tell you, I miss normal. I've heard that phrase a lot, and I've said it a lot. The very first Sunday, we were full on, full house, singing out, I might jump out of my skin, so be careful if you're near the front, right? Because I love Jesus and I love to sing to him and I love to sing about what he's done for me. I hope that is the same for you as well. As Pastor Jared mentioned earlier, we are in our core value month. Last week, Pastor Steve did a phenomenal job talking about the foundation of God's word. Today, I get to talk about worship and we have mission and community and service. Just reminding our church of who we are and what we value, how we put all of the yeses, all of the the ministry uh, direction that we do into those five buckets. And so today, I wanna help us, I hope and I pray, understand worship from a 10,000 foot view of John chapter 4. So if you have your Bible here in the room or if you're at home, go grab it, right? Turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be spending some time in there together to talk about one of our core values um, of worship. And as many of you know, if you don't, I'm the worship pastor here at the church. I could literally sit here, uh, stand here and talk about worship all day long. But they gave me like 40 so minutes, and so that's what we're going to aim for, is to keep it to that and talk about what worship means in the Word of God. And I want us to walk away with one main idea today, that everyone worships. The question is, what do you worship? Or better yet, who do you worship? Right? Even if you're not in Christ, even if you don't believe in God, you are worshiping something. The question is, are you worshiping the right thing? Better yet, are you worshiping the right person? I'm going to warn you just a little bit. You know, I'm the worship pastor. I do music mostly. But I'm going to talk less about music and more about the other side of worship. What does a true worshiper look like? And we're going to look at this conversation that happened between Jesus and the woman at the well. How she walked into the conversation a false worshiper. And she walked away a true worshiper. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. Let me read the main passage, John 4, starting in verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. I love that last line. He's seeking people to worship him. That's because he's a merciful and gracious and kind and loving God. 
So let's talk about all the verses that go around those three verses just to help us understand the context of that statement that Jesus makes to this woman at the well. And I have three main ways I'm hoping to help us understand the context, and that is racial tension, an immoral woman, and outward religious practices. Okay, so those are the three things I'm going to help us understand those three verses to understand the context on which Jesus says this statement in the middle of a conversation with this woman. So firstly, racial tension. We felt that lately, haven't we? But I love what Jesus does in this situation. And the reason that there is racial tension is because Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They did not like each other at all. So much to the point that if you were a devout Jew and you had to go to Jerusalem for a a religious festival, you could either go through Samaria, straightest, shortest route, or you could go all the way around You could follow the sea border and go many, many, many miles out of the way so you don't happen to run into a Samaritan and perhaps defile yourself. Listen to how serious it was. Here's what one commentator says. Tensions often ran high between Jews and Samaritans. Thus, Josephus recounts fighting between Jews and Samaritans during Claudius' reign in the first century AD, being so intense that the Roman soldiers were called in to pacify and to crucify many of the rebels. Jews and Samaritans hated each other so much that they had to call in the police just to break up fights, right? But as only Jesus can do, he flips the script in the middle of this. And verse 4 says he had to pass through Samaria. And we know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so I see in this maybe just a little bit of his humanity coming out where he's like, it's the long way around. Why would I do that? I'm tired. I'm going to go the short way. And the disciples might have been like, yeah, but Jesus, you know, Samaritans and we'll defile ourselves. And he's like, no, I'm going, I'm going this way. It's shorter. It makes more sense, right? It's kind of like when I run the treadmill, like you need to go two miles or three miles. By mile two, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go two miles today. It's fine. It works. I got my exercise in. But also his divinity is showing up as well. Why? Because he is following the sovereign will of his father. He had a divine appointment at a well in Samaria with a woman who would enter a false worshiper and leave a true worshiper. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to redeem a people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. That's what future worship looks like. The Lamb of God on his throne in every language and skin color and ethnicity and background around the throne, having been saved and cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, lifting up their songs to a Savior. He is the King of all nations. And so we need to remember that God sent his son and Jesus went directly to this conversation knowing that there was racial tension between Jews and Samaritans. So he begins this conversation with her. He asks her for a drink of water. And she points out what we've been talking about for the last minute. You know, how can you, a Jewish man, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? If you drink from my water jar, you're going to defile yourself. But Jesus pushes through cultural barriers and racial barriers, and he goes to make this woman a true worshiper. But on top of the racial tension that is happening, we also see that this was an immoral woman. She had nothing to stand on, nothing to to own up to as far as righteousness goes. You see, many scholars believe that she went to the well, as the text tells us, in the middle of the day. All right, now we've had some hot days here in Indiana, which is very uncharacteristic for Indiana, I know, but I grew up in South Florida, so I love it, and I'm outside as much as possible. But 
what these women would have to do is they would have to get two heavy water jars, put them on a pole, and they would carry them up to the well, and they would fill them up, and they're heavier now, and they would carry them back to the town so they could cook and clean and drink and have all the things to do everyday mundane tasks. So most women went in the morning or in the evening because it was cooler. You wouldn't want to do the hardest task of the day in the hottest part of the day, would you? You'd want to do it in the coolest part of the day. But what was she doing? She was avoiding crowds and conversations. She was avoiding looks of shame and scorn from the town that she lived in because it was most likely known that she was an immoral woman. And Jesus does something that's very out of the norm for a Jewish devout man. He sits down and talks with her. Not only is she immoral, but she's a woman. If you see at the end of the text, the disciples come back and they marveled that he was talking with a woman. Why? Because women were considered second class in some ways. And Jesus comes in and says, no, you were made in my image. I don't care that you're a Samaritan. I don't care that you're a woman. You were made in my image. I love you. I came for you. I'm going to make you a true worshiper. So there's all these weird things, all these things that could have stopped him from having this conversation, but did not stop him because he is the son of God, savior of the world. And as Jesus would often do, he uses everyday examples to show tremendous truths. He uses the lesser things to show the greater things. He uses the everyday mundane things of life to show great spiritual truth. And he does that here as well. They're at a well, so he uses the best thing he can think of. She came to get water, he uses water. He uses the everyday mundane thing of water to show her a truth, to start weaving this conversation to the things that matter. So she asked him for a drink. He asked her for a drink and, and she's like, well, how can you, you're a Jew. And then, she's, and then he says, I have, I have living water actually. I, I have living water. I have water that if you drank of it, you would never be thirsty again. And she's probably thinking he's talking about actual water because she goes, well, how, how are you gonna get it? You don't have a jar, you don't have a, it's really deep, it's like hundred feet deep. How are you gonna get the water out of there? He's like, if you only knew who is in front of you, you would ask me for this water. What he's talking about, see, everything that Jesus does is on this road to Calvary. Everything that Jesus does is to accomplish a redemptive purpose. And so what Jesus does in this moment is he points to a future reality. He's gonna die, he's gonna rise again, he's gonna ascend to heaven, he's gonna send his spirit to us. And the water here, the living water, is that everlasting source of joy that the Holy Spirit will indwell believers and continually remind us of the Savior that we place our faith in. That's a sermon for another time. We won't get more into that, but that's what he's referring to in this text. Living water, the Spirit coming down. So he would use this everyday example to show these truths, and he's referring to the Spirit. But this is what Jesus has to offer. He's trying to get from the mundane to the spiritual. He's trying to get from the surface to the heart. And he shifts that conversation to the deep need of the soul. And so he's talking to her and they're talking about water and they're at a well, they're talking about water. It's probably an everyday thing. And then he's like, all of a sudden, this is so weird to me when I read it, but he's just like, go get your husband. Like they're talking about water. And then Jesus is like, go get your husband. Why does he do that? Because he's getting to a point. He's driving the conversation to a certain place. And she goes, well, I don't have a husband. She's probably thinking in that moment, if I say I don't have a husband, he's going to stop talking about husbands. <laughs> That's what she's hoping for anyway. But Jesus is all knowing, isn't he? He is all knowing. He knows exactly what is going on in her life. I mean, imagine this. You're at Starbucks 
You sit down, it's a beautiful day. You sit down outside, you order your triple venti, macchiato, vanilla, something, 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 with extra whipped cream and three sides of espresso and whatever else you guys order at Starbucks. I just drink coffee black, so I don't know what they're called, but you know those fancy drinks. You, you sit down, you drink that. And all of a sudden, this guy comes and sits down next to you. You're just enjoying your coffee. And he's like, he says like two or three sentences to you. And then he's like, hey, guess what? I'm going to tell you all your sin. And he's dead on, like doesn't miss anything. How would that feel to you? You would feel jarred. You'd be shocked. Like, who are you, number one? <laughs> number two, how do you know that? Right? But he says, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, I know. You've had five. You've had five. And the guy you're living with right now, the guy you're shacking him with right now, he's not your husband. And so her sin has been exposed before our perfect Savior. So after trying to shut down the conversation, Jesus pointing out her sin, she realizes that she's in the presence of a great prophet. Way more than that, but definitely someone who knows the inner thoughts and the outworkings of her life, even though he's never been around her. So she tries to shift the conversation one last time to something that maybe won't be about her sin and those kinds of things. She shifts it to religion and says, let's talk about religion, right? She realizes she's in the presence of a powerful prophet or something like that. And so she's like, he's got to know about religion. So let's talk about religion. So she asked the question, which mount is the correct mountain to worship on? We say it's uh, Mount Gerizim. The Samarit uh, Samaritans say that and, and the Jews would say that's in Jerusalem. Which one's correct? You ever notice this, that whenever you start talking about spiritual things with someone who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that oftentimes they will go to outward religious performances and rituals to try to prop themselves up. If you're talking to somebody, you're talking about, all of a sudden you're like talking about Jesus, they'll go to, yeah, I own a Bible. I've been to church. My, my granddaddy was a pastor. And they try to go to these outward things instead of starting with what is inside. They go to these outward things to show that they're a worshiper. But Jesus says that's not good enough. More change has to come. He goes on to say some pretty profound things that are going to dwarf the mountains that they worshiped on and put him at the center rightly of our worship. He tells you to believe him. The time is here for true worshipers to arise. And what do true worshipers look like? We'll see it in these few verses. And it's way more than outward religious performance. It's bigger than where or how. So I'd like to try my, my hand at a definition based on John 4 that says what a true worshiper is. And I'm hoping to use this as the outline for our, our time together today as we talk about what a true worshiper is. Let's define it this way on the pattern of John 4. A true worshiper is someone who has encountered Jesus, repents of their sins, is saved by his grace, is changed from the inside out and then lives their life for the glory of God, both in the gathered and the scattered context of being the church. I retyped that definition like 10 times because you could put so much into a definition, right? You could have a whole paper on it. You could talk about how worship is a response to the glory of God and all of life and also in our songs of praise. We could talk about Psalm 96.8, which was read earlier to worship God by giving him glory that he is due. But what I wanna try and do today is to reduce what worship is to its utter core. What makes someone a true worshiper? Jesus does. Jesus makes us a true worshiper. 
So let's walk through that definition just uh, line by line, hopefully help us understand how this works in our lives. A true worshiper is someone who has encountered Jesus, right? I said at the beginning of my message, I'm hoping you walk away with it today, that we are all born worshiping something. I mean, my kids, I have, I have three kids, Hudson, Hayden, and Henley Kate. They are 11, 9, and 5, going on 16, but that's their ages. And I, I, they're a little bit older now, but I remember so vividly when they were like one year or two years old and they're learning words, right? Dad, dad was the first one for all of them. Don't listen to Lindsay <laughs> or mama. But for some reason, like the fourth or fifth word was always no. I'm like, who taught you that? I've been saying ball and truck and sky and blue. And you said, no, how did you learn that? We don't teach disobedience. We don't teach sin. It is born within us. We were born with a sin nature. I didn't teach them that. Hey, can you share your toy? No. Can you eat your veggies? No. And they don't know really what they're doing, but they're acting within the way that God has made them, that they are sinners, born sinners, which is why they need Jesus. And so it starts so outright, like we don't hide it when we're kids, but then it becomes more and more subtle as we get older before we know it, we are living our adult life with a family and a job, and we are chasing things that will never deliver on their promises. See, the, the, the challenge is that worship is not turned on and off. Worship is only aimed. Every act that we do is an act of worship. What I'm doing right now is worship. When you tie your shoe, it's worship. All of it is worship. But we have to make sure that Jesus is the object of our worship or else it's for nothing. We give our affection and our attention to try to get things that um, are even good things. Family's a good thing. Job's a good thing. Money's a good thing. It's fine. But when those good things become God things and take first priority in our lives, then the problem presents itself. And we might have some idols that we need to root out and have the gospel just crush and crush and crush in our hearts. We can see this in a woman at the well also, can't we, a little bit? I mean, she had five husbands. She was trying, you know, it doesn't say this, but I could, I could maybe guess she was trying to find uh, love and approval and acceptance, not realizing that she was made for somebody who already loves and, and accepts her, not based on who she is, but on based on Jesus and who he is. He shows her the emptiness of these endeavors. and She was not created to worship these things, these idols, these outward religious things. She was made to worship him. And I think a helpful metric to help us with this, and I've said it before, is to look at our bank accounts. We can look at the way that we spend our time. We can look at uh, what our minds go at. So we obsess over, we, like we're at rest and all of a sudden we're thinking about that thing again. Or how about this? What about the thing that if, if God took it out of your life, you would be so upset and frustrated and mad at him because he took it from you. Those might be clues to idols in our lives, idols that we're bowing down to in worship that don't deserve the worship that we have. What Jesus does, he comes in, he hijacks our worship and he points it rightly at himself. A true worshiper is someone who has encountered Jesus. A true worshiper is someone who repents of their sins and is saved by grace. At the very end of this passage, she walks away a believer. The woman left her water jar. She just left it there. And went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? John MacArthur says it this way. She had already recognized her need in verse 15, 
her sin in verse 19, her true condition in verse 26, and that he was the source of eternal life. Now she eagerly desired to communicate her discovery to others. Her zeal and enthusiasm proves the clinching piece of evidence that her conversion was genuine. She is repenting of her sins, stepping into a new identity as a true worshiper. Why is this important to know? Why can we not worship God before we are converted, before God regenerates our life from death to life in Jesus? We see this really clearly actually in Old Covenant worship. There were strict rituals and practices that they had to go through. There was a temple, there was a veil that kept the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. There was a priest you had to go through. There's a high priest who went into the Holy of Holies once a year to offer a sacrifice for the atonement of sins. There was many, many other things I don't have time to get into today. But the whole purpose of that system was to show that God is holy and we can't worship him on our own. We need a sacrifice. We need something to change us. We need something that makes it acceptable to him. He is infinitely higher than us. We have no right to be in his presence like we were today. We have no right to speak to him, ask anything of him. And we for sure have no right to be saved, adopted into his family, and made co-heirs with Christ. But this is what Jesus does. He shows us that he is what, what we really long for. He's the only one worthy of our worship. And that can only be seen when the scales of lostness and sin fall from our eyes and we are given a new heart inside. Our soul is changed. We live for his glory. We live, worship all about him when those things become true. A true worshiper is changed from the inside out. And this is my main point today. I want to kind of just let this marinate for us a little bit and uh, help this inform uh, how we view spirit and truth even. But they encounter Jesus. They, they see that they need a savior. They repent and they put their faith in Jesus for their salvation. And their true worshipers change from the inside out. We're given a new heart, a new mind, which leads to a life of worship that overflows into songs of worship. And this is where Jesus leads the woman to. He shows her that she needs to be changed from the inside out. It's not about external religious practices. It doesn't really matter what mountain you are on. He has come to fulfill all these things. Jesus is the truer and better worship ecosystem. He's the better. He's fulfilling everything. Jesus is now the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is now the high priest who allows us access into the throne room of grace. He is the sacrifice. He is the meeting place of heaven and earth. He is the way that we access and have the ability to come and taste and see that the Lord is good because we've been granted access. The veil has been torn. We are in his presence because of what Jesus has done. He is the meeting place of heaven and earth. I'll, I'll, it'll, I'll illustrate it this way. If we want to be changed from the inside out, what does that look like? Just to help us get a visual picture of this. So a couple of months ago, I was making a Chemex of coffee. If you don't know what a Chemex is, it's literally the most snobby way that you can make coffee. Right? You gotta, you gotta weigh out the beans, freshly grind them, get the water to a certain temperature. You gotta pour it slowly until it gets to a certain place. And it takes like 10 minutes to make one cup of coffee. But it is so good. I love coffee. Right? So I make this beautiful, this beautiful uh, Chemex of coffee. And I'm like, I'm gonna go drink this later. So I go to the cabinet and I grab a swill bottle that keeps you know, your coffee warm. And I'm gonna pour the coffee in there so I can drink it later. So I, I pull it down, I open the swill bottle, it's like, oh, just this foul stench comes out of the bottle. And I'm like, I like literally gagged. 
I look in, and there's like watery, like floating chunks of like cottage cheese looking something, something in there. A little couple bugs. No, I'm just kidding. It was nasty. What had happened was my son, who only drinks milk and water, he's super healthy, um, had poured milk into the swill bottle and drank most of it. I thought it was empty, so I put it in the cabinet, uh, only to pull out later and be assaulted by the foulest stench <laughs> I've had in a long time. So, so what would happen if, if I tried to pour the coffee into this swill bottle and then drank it later? That would be so dumb. It would taste disgusting. I would need to take the swill bottle, clean it out with a brush, get some soap, get some water, get it all cleaned out, pour it out, and then the coffee can go in. This is what Jesus does with our worship. We're worshiping all these things that don't matter. We're running after things that aren't gonna satisfy and we're filled with curdled milk. Sin is our master. Our heart is filthy. But Jesus comes and he just cleans us out. He cleans us out so that the good stuff can go in. The gospel, the goodness, the glory of God. And then right worship can be poured out later. If we, do, if we have not been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb or filled with the Holy Spirit, our worship will be a foul stench to our Lord. This is why grace is so amazing. He has changed us from the inside out. Not outside in. Not mountains that we worship on. But from the inside out. He's changing our hearts. Hallelujah. What a savior. A true worshiper lives their life to the glory of God, both in the scattered and gathered context of being the church. So once your life has been changed, once you've been changed from the inside out, you are now to live for his glory. You are now to live a life of worship, both when we're out and not in this building and both when we're in this building. Both things are done by Jesus and we can worship him both gathered here when we gather on Sundays and scattered when we live our lives throughout the week. And I know I haven't said anything about music yet. Don't worry, we'll get there. But this is intentional because worship and music are not on the same plane. They, do, they are not synonymous, right? Worship is up here and music is down here. Worship is up here and music is down here. All that we do is worship. I love the idea of thinking of worship this way in scattered and gathered context because it's, it's really helpful. In fact, in the worship ministry, we have a manifesto. And one of the things that we say that we want to be known by is that our weekend worship on Sundays, what you see here on the platform is informed by our weekly worship. You can't come in on Sunday morning and flip on the worship switch. It doesn't exist. That'd be cool because if you did, all y'all be walking in like, where's your worship switch? I'm flipping it on. Then I don't have to do anything, Right? And the reality is I don't do anything anyways if we're living these, these right lives of worship. But you can't come in and be like, I'm ready to worship. Boop. Here we go. I'm leaving church. Boop. Right? It doesn't work that way. There's no worship switch that we can turn on. And I guarantee for those of you that are at home, the worship switch is even harder to find probably because you're on your couch maybe. Maybe you have breakfast casseroles in your hand. Like the dog's on your lap. Your kids are doing the puzzle on the tape. I don't know. I know it's hard. Trust me, we know it's hard. I've been at home uh, during a worship gathering online as well. But it's harder to find that because it doesn't exist. But we can worship scattered by a few different ways. Let me give you some examples to help us understand how this actually works itself out in our everyday life. We can worship scattered by enjoying a steak on our back deck like I did last night with your family on a beautiful summer night. 
right? The Rouses have not been going out to eat tons because the pandemic or whatever. And so we've been taking that restaurant money, throwing it in the grocery store fund, and we've been splurging a little bit on some big fatty steaks from Costco, right? The big ones, salt, pepper, that's it. Don't add anything else to it, it doesn't work. Throw it on the grill, sear it, flip it. And then you're eating it with your family. The sun's coming, it's a light breeze. Your, your kids aren't fighting. Like it's just a beautiful night, right? That could either be a great moment in your day or it can be a worship moment in your day. You can enjoy that stick to the glory of God. First Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I've heard this as well. Like, it, you know, people come to me and say, hey, you know what, this church over there, and they're talking about Sundays. Now this church over there, they are spirit-filled, man. Like just spirit-filled over there. And I'm like, that's awesome. I love that. I love spirit-filled churches. We're one too. We've got the spirit. He's here. But what they mean is like really engaging, like people everywhere just kind of really all in with their, with their expression. But what I've been thinking about is how are we a spirit-filled worship worshipers scattered because the spirit doesn't, doesn't live in this building. He goes with us, right? How do we worship God spirit filled as we're scattered? Well, I think you can look at the fruits of the spirit. Are we loving? Are we patient? Are we kind in the middle of a pandemic when everything mostly is happening over Facebook? Are we kind? Do people look at our posts and go, that's a true worshiper or not? Are we faithful? Are we self-controlled? Do we serve our, no- our neighbors in love and deed? You also can worship God by painting a picture or writing a song or reading a book or enjoying a movie. My kids sometimes get frustrated with me because we'll watch a movie and I'll be like, hey kids, hey kids, hey kids, where was Jesus in that movie? I'm like, dad, I want to go play. I'm like, no, no, come on, just give me 30 seconds. Where was Jesus in that movie? Fine, Dad, like when Iron Man snapped his fingers and everybody came back to life, he's Jesus. And here we go. I'm like, yeah, that's it. You got it. Can we go play now? Yes, you can. And we try to have little worship moments like that because every good story is an echo of the greatest story, Jesus Christ. We can worship him by watching movies. We can make PPE for nurses and doctors. We can interact or how we interact with our spouses or kids or boss or friends. We can obey his commandments. We can be on mission with Jesus. We can be holy as he is holy. But I think something that we oft forget that's so basic Christianity that when I talk to people, it's the first thing that we will repent of together in prayer is daily time worshiping God in his word. If you want to fill up on the goodness of God, you've got to love this book. You have got to be in this book. And I am not talking about that calendar that's on your kitchen table that has one verse and a little pithy Christian thought. That ain't gonna do it. That's like taking one little itty bitty piece of a meal and just put it in your mouth. You know, I'm good. No, you need the steak of the word. You need to be in the word because that informs our worship. We'd be on our knees in prayer in an infinite number of ways. We can also worship gathered. This is what a core value is getting at. God is the object of our worship. He's the author, the causer, and the recipient of our worship. He makes us worship by saving us. The Holy Spirit, when we were singing, I don't know if you know this, but was moving among us in our hearts, causing conviction, causing repentance, letting joy well up, well up within our hearts for the glory of our Savior. And it all goes back to him. And just real quickly here, there's a vertical and a horizontal aspect to worship. 
We come in, there's a vertical aspect of worship. We raise our gaze to heaven. He is the object of our worship. He is worthy of our worship. We're singing our songs to him. And here's what I love about worship. If we can get this in our minds when we come and sing on Sundays or in our homes on Sundays, is that if there's no mountain we have to go to, his presence is with us. And that means that every time we sing out to him, he's not just like, you know, rolling his eyes on his throne. We don't just sing words and they hit the air and they dissipate. They don't go anywhere. No, our king is on his throne. He is leaning in. I imagine a smile on his face as he watches you and listens to you express and sing the glory that is due his name. It's a powerful thing when we sing together. It's not some checklist thing that we need to do in Christianity. We need to worship him. If you haven't felt that in your soul the last couple of weeks, I don't know what to tell you. I felt it. Just being down here and watching my team lead and hearing you sing, I can hear you sing through your mask and everything. It was beautiful. It's a picture of what is to come. Pastor Steve says this about our, uh, our horizontal, and I love this, this, this picture. What the gospel in our hearts should produce in our church is a great bonfire of worship. As, as each of us brings our kindling to add to the fire, the more of us there are together, the larger the fire should be. Corporate worship is the gathering together of hearts delighting in God. When that happens, there's a special dynamic that takes place. So I love that. Like if you, if you could just imagine everybody's kind of walking into Sunday mornings with a little kindling of uh, logs on their in their arms, he's like, kind of lay it down right here, right? Then we pour some gospel gasoline on that sucker. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and a bonfire of worship. We bring our worship with us into the room by the life that we live. And then we encourage each other with that worship. So we vertically sing to God. We also horizontally sing to each other. We encourage one another by the truths that we sing. And I miss this. I miss hearing the church sing out fully with full room. I miss hugging my Bethel family. I miss feasting on the word together. I miss uh, communion together. Why? Because God's designed true worshipers to desire this. We've tasted it of grace and the goodness of God. And we want to come and lift up his name to be with the saints. If you've been changed, your heart desires that. We can't miss this because this is the reality that we're in today, right? We can't fully do what we want for the safety of others and for the love of our neighbors. We, we put some things in place that even the governor's put in place that uh, we have to restrict things. So how do we worship in a pandemic season? What, how should we view things in a pandemic season when we're talking about this core value that we have as a church? Well, first of all, two encouragements. First of all, if you feel comfortable, if you feel safe, this building is open on Sunday mornings at nine o'clock. Your campus is open on Sundays at 1045. You should come worship with us. And I get it. The masks are annoying. I just sang through one over there. But guess what? It's not that bad, actually. It's not that bad. And what I would love for us to see is that when we put on a mask, when we come to church and do things, maybe that's up to our preference. Actually, that's an act of worship within itself. We're serving others. That's an act of worship within itself. We put it on, we declare war with our words. As we expel words through our mask, we just say, God, you're good. Enemy, you will not have victory over this. We're gonna worship our God in spirit and truth, no matter what. It's not about our preference. It's about him. It's about singing to him. So come, if you can, if you feel comfortable, come. We also have outdoor options. Jared mentioned that early. Come to those, right? Here's the second encouragement. Is when you're at home to the best of your ability, I know this is hard. I've been there, I've done it. But try to get together as a family and pray before the stream starts, right? 
Try to turn up the volume as loud as, as you can so you can sing out at home. Get your Bible, get your notebook, take notes during the sermon. Let's try to engage fully at home and not view it. If worship's not a spectator sport, which it's not, we got to engage as much as we can in our homes. And this is a season, you guys. This is not forever. This is a season for a little bit. This is what God has called us to do, to worship him in a pandemic season. We worship gathered by a couple of different ways. And I want to spend some time on this because it's important for us as a church to understand this. First of all, we sing to the Lord. As I mentioned, uh, worship is not a spectator sport. You're not coming here to listen to me or Daniel or anybody else sing to you. You're here to come and sing with us. This is not a concert. This is not something that we try to do so you'll like the way we sing or play. We do everything we can to serve the songs that you can sing out fully on Sunday mornings. We see God, we behold him in his holiness, his righteousness, his mercy, his grace, his perfection, his justice, his love, his kindness, his beauty and glory. We see his mighty works from the never same sunsets and the beautiful oceans and the light breezes that remind us that he moves. We remember that he parted the Red Sea, he healed the blind, he made the lame to walk and he rose from the dead. This is the God that we worship. We behold it. We see it. We respond when we sing our songs to him. We pray together. We sing, but we pray. Jesus tells us how it should be a house of prayer. We practice, we practice the ordinances of the Bible. We baptize people and showing their salvation, that internal reality externally shown through the waters of baptism. We take communion together, proclaiming his death, remembering his death through the bread and the cup. We fellowship, we confess sin, we read scripture, we hear stories of God's grace. But the pinnacle of our gathering, the pinnacle of Sunday mornings, the pinnacle of everything that we do in worship as a core value is the preaching of God's word. Everything leads to that. Everything points to that. If there was an ark, that's the, that's the highest ark of the whole Sunday. Why? Because if a true worshiper has been changed by Jesus, they need to hear the words of Jesus more than anything. We need to be helped by its promises, principles, and rebukes, which lead us to respond with lives of worship in songs of praise. Okay, so spirit and truth. This is what Jesus is seeking. This is what he speaks is now here. And we worship on Sunday mornings and throughout the week in spirit and in truth. So we've briefly spoken already. You have to be saved in order to worship correctly. You can't worship without that internal change by placing your faith in Jesus. But when he says we're worshiping in spirit and truth, the spirit speaks to the inner man, our heart, our soul, right? And the only way that works is if the Holy Spirit makes our inner spirit come alive in Jesus. So he changes us, he makes us alive, he pulls off those scales off of our eyes and we can worship him with our spirits. We don't want to honor him with our lips if our hearts are far from him. The two are connected. We learn about God, it gets deep into our souls and it comes out in songs of praise. Our spirits are where we feel, it's our emotions. Now guys, don't check out on me, okay? Guys are like, I'm not emotional. I'm not gonna ask you to watch a Hallmark movie or get in a circle and cry and share your feelings. We're not gonna do that. But I am here to challenge you that guys, a real man that follows Jesus is emotional. In whatever way that God designed him to be emotional, right? Within your, your character, within the way God has made you, 
Because I've seen some of y'all yell when that Bears player crosses the, the goal line, right? Uh, and if I, if I offered you a million dollars, you wouldn't be like, oh, thanks, man. You'd be jumping up and down a million dollars. Are you kidding me? You'd be so excited. How much more excited should we be about the salvation of our souls? How much more excited should we be that there's coming a day when he will wipe every tear from every eye and we will be before the throne on our faces, worshiping the God that we have been pursuing our entire lives? How much more should that affect our spirit? We don't just sing songs. We don't just raise our hands. We don't just perform external religious rituals. We worship with our spirits, all that is within us. Bless his holy name. Psalm 103 says we worship with our hearts. Everything external comes from inside. So when we raise our hands in worship or we sing out in worship, that starts here. And God just gets that truth going in our hearts and then it just comes out an expression of praise unto him. And this is why God gave us the gift of music, I think, as a tool to worship him with. We don't worship the tool. We don't worship worship. But he gave us this gift of music. Why? Because music has this innate, an innate ability, intrinsic ability to help our souls feel things. The example I oftentimes give, I've given it before uh, from this very pulpit, is uh, a movie. You go watch a movie, there's always a score of music that goes with it. If you've watched Hamilton on Disney+, Plus, you'll see that that's made a lot better by the music, right? And it, let's imagine there's a movie. I'm not going to tell you one because I don't want emails from you. Uh, but let's just make up one where a boy and a girl, they've been separated the entire movie. He's like going through wars and, and battles and just, just uh, trials to try to get back there. And they finally see each other in the movie. You know what I'm talking about. It's like every movie you've ever seen, right? And they see each other across the way and she starts crying and he starts crying. And they just like slow-mo run to each other. How awkward was that to watch just now? It was awkward to do. How awkward would that be if you had to watch that in the movie theater with no music behind it? You'd be like, what is happening right now? Why are they running so slowly? Why is he making that face? But you put some music with it and it helps that just jump to life, doesn't it? God gave us this intrinsic, beautiful gift of music to help doctrine and truth and story come to life so we can expel it with worship from our mouths. And again, we don't worship the tool. This is the only thing I'm going to say about, about musical style right here. God is not in heaven with a radio going. Oh, there it is, the Gaithers. Finally, somebody's doing good worship around here. Or there's an organ. Or there's modern 2020 worship. I love that worship. Do you know this? that there are different kind of styles of music, not only in America, but throughout the world that maybe you, need, you haven't even heard. And God loves all of it. He loves all of it. Nobody's got the right answer. There is no formula, musically speaking, for this. Jesus wants our hearts, not the style. What needs to be poured into us at the core inside of us is the gospel. I've said it and I'll beat this drum until I die if we could just grasp an infinitesimal bit of what our sin deserves and what grace means, we would never half-heartedly worship again. We would full-throatedly on our knees, hands raised as loud as we can be singing to him. If we would just grasp just a little bit of that. Like a tea bag in a cup of water, let your, God, your heart soak and just soak and steep and steep so that when you come on Sundays, it just comes out 
as an act of worship unto him. We don't want half, we don't want our theology to lead to half-baked vanilla doxology. We don't want to just be all head and no heart. We also don't want to be just all heart and no head. We need both. They're connected. One informs the other, and it comes out in an act of worship, an act of praise. God is seeking worshipers for himself. Those who will worship him in spirit and truth. Not concerned with outward rituals, but with the heart. So real briefly, how can we apply some of these truths to our lives this morning? How do we make sure we're a true worshiper? Well, firstly, I want to talk to you both in this room and online. Have you encountered Jesus? I would love it if our church would become all in, full on engaged worshipers from this message, but I would love it more if one person would give their life to Jesus. You've been chasing those things that you know will never satisfy. You get to it and you just go to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I'm here to tell you what your heart longs for is that living water. It's for Jesus. All you have to do is believe in him, confess that he is Lord and you'll be saved. Would you consider Christ today? Is your worship coming from within? When someone come and ask you how you're doing spiritually, is it first what you do or is it first who you are that leads to what you do? Is your worship coming from within, not from without? How are your priorities? How are you spending your time? How's your bank account looking? What do you think about when your mind is at rest? Is Jesus first and foremost in your life? And there's a freebie. When was the last time you got emotional during gathered worship? When's the last time you got choked up? The older I get, the longer I walk with Jesus, I'll read the Jesus Storybook Bible to my kids at dinner time, and I'll start crying. <laughs> and they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, it's beautiful what Jesus did for us. When's the last time you sing a song and you realize that's true and you just get choked up about it? How's your inner man doing? How's your spirit doing with your worship? Is your truth informing that? A true worshiper is someone who has encountered Jesus, repents of their sins, is saved by his grace, is changed from the inside out, and then lives their life for the glory of God, both in gathered and scattered context of being a church. Why do we worship? Because he is worthy. He's our author, our maker, our ransom, our savior, our refuge, our hiding place, our helper, our healer, our blessed redeemer, our answer, our saving grace. He is the hope in the shadows, our strength in the battle, our anchor for all our days. And he stands by my side and he stood in my place. Jesus, no other name. A true worshiper lives a life of worship in spirit and truth that's all about him, that outflows into songs of worship that are all about him.